So this morning, <coughs> I mentioned this during our announcement time, excuse me. We are one step closer to wrapping up First Peter. Now for a lot of us, that's not a real big task because we're only like 13 weeks in. But we've studied some monsters here. Uh, we've spent several years in the book of John. Um, and so 13 weeks in First Peter is like, we, you know, we're just getting started. But we're a step into the home stretch. We're about to wrap up chapter 4. Um, and then we just have a few closing thoughts that Peter has in chapter 5. And then we will be standing right in the middle of Easter and the season of Lent and some really amazing things. And so it's a really fun, fun time. So if you've been here for any period of time, you know that this study really is, is not just about a journey through the first book of 1 Peter, kind of looking at what's there and what he's teaching us. It's really a call to life. And I've told you from the very beginning, 1 Peter really is about two things. It's a reminder that you're not alone. That whatever you're dealing with, struggling with, whatever's weighing on your shoulders or on your heart, you're not alone. It was a call to all these scattered believers all over Asia Minor that they were not alone. That God had not forgotten them and they were people that were a part of their life that were going to help sustain them and carry them. And they were also reminded in the middle of this not alone that they were called to something incredibly great. They had this call to life. And that there is hope and joy and purpose in every single breath and every single moment. Even in the middle of what we've seen for the majority of 1 Peter, which is suffering. Even in the middle of our suffering and struggle and trials and hardships, there is joy and purpose and hope in every single one of those moments. Which is incredible to hear, right? Because most of us think that our suffering moments are throwaway moments. They're moments we want to get rid of or toss back or not have to deal with. But our suffering moments are moments of beauty and they're moments of purpose. And Peter kind of explains that not only to those believers, but he explains it to us. And so for the past really six plus, if not more than that, um, all the way back to chapter two weeks, we've been looking at First Peter through the lens and the unique lens of suffering. And he has talked about the diversity of suffering. I mean, suffering at the hands of unjust governments, of oppressive leaders, of unjust masters, suffering at the hands of broken marriages with a husband that's an unbeliever, suffering at the hands of relationships that are just really hard where there's that one person that is just continually hurting and crushing your heart or your soul. We've talked about suffering even when things are going right and you're doing the right thing where you are faithful and you are honoring God and suffering just seems to find its way to your doorstep. We've looked at all of those. We've looked at the practical side of suffering. We've talked about how we're called to arm ourselves with the mindset of Christ. And then last week we looked at the very practical side of being able to understand a clear-minded thought process so that we can pray, so that we can speak love, so that we can serve, right, all those different pieces, and we can love well, and we explored those practical sides of this. Well, today Peter's going to kind of wrap up this idea of suffering. So once we finish today, we're kind of going to put a bow on the idea of suffering and move on to his closing thoughts of the letter. But Peter's last thought on suffering is really anchored with a bunch of kind of bigger principles, which we're going to kind of spend our time on this morning. But he's really going to talk about suffering for this one fact. What happens when you suffer just for saying that you follow Christ? So just for being a Christian, which for a lot of us is not part of our story, right? And I'll kind of allude to this and get to this, but most of us have never suffered for being a Christian. We had someone in high school call you a Bible beater or a college professor make fun of you for not believing in some kind of moral relativism or something. But really, most of us have never, ever truly suffered for being a Christian. Um, I, I say most. I'm not sure about all of us. Most of us. I never have, certainly. If anything, being a Christian has gotten me things. 
Uh, hey, you're my pastor. I guess I ask you if you want my thunder tickets. I mean, it's like gives me stuff, right? <laughs> I get an incredible salary. I'm wealthy beyond my imagination. Fly everywhere on my private plane. But Christianity, for the most, by the way, none of that is true. Um, and you only give me thunder tickets to the games you don't want to go to. So it's not even the good ones. Um, but most of us, for, we, we've never suffered at the hands of our Christianity, right? Like, truthfully. But Peter's going to show us something in some big principle today about what it means to suffer for the sake of Christ and why we as, a Christ, as Christians should long for it. Should have this deep desire to suffer because we love Jesus that much. And how suffering and Christianity have been intricately linked together for the past 2,000 years. And it's part of this incredible story of being able to know Christ more and being able to grow in maturity and wisdom. So as we think about it in terms of that, let's go ahead and turn ourselves to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be in the last five verses there um, this morning um, that we're going to glance at. And like I said, I'm going to breeze the text a little bit, and then we're going to look at some bigger overarching principles that I think are are really important when it comes to the context of suffering for the sake of Christ. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at those verses 12 through whatever that would be. It gets us to the end there, 19. Um, but before we do that, let's take a moment. Let's just pray. Let's ask God to teach our hearts this morning, to open his word to us, and then we will dive in it together. God, your word is living. It is alive. Lord, it is perfect, and it is holy, and it is your very breath. And so we don't take it lightly. Uh, Lord, uh, we don't walk up here on a Sunday morning or stand up here on a Sunday morning and, and nonchalantly open your word. Your word is, it is true. And so, God, we know that an encounter with it is an encounter with you, and we don't take that lightly. My entire desire is that we would fall in love with your word. Not my words, not things I share, but your true and perfect word. We would have a love affair with it, and it would just steep in our souls, and that, God, we would read it when we leave here and, and meditate on it and make it part of our story and our family's story and our lives, and it would, it would be what gives us life, because it is you. And so, Lord, as we open this word today, we pray that you would teach our hearts, that you would talk to us about suffering and the bigger principles at play here and what it might mean for us to truly suffer for the sake of Christ, to know you that well and to desire you that much. Take a moment in your own heart, just as you sit here, we do this each week, and just ask the, the Lord to teach your heart this morning. Just ask him to teach you something that you need to, to learn and that you need to hear. Just ask the Lord to instruct your heart this morning. And then pray for someone beside you, uh, in front of you, behind you. Maybe you know the name, maybe you don't. We want to be a church in the habit of praying for other people. Everything, of course, that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Pray for the people around you. Pray that God would move in them. Be someone that cares enough about other people, including your spouse, to pray for them. And pray that God would move in them and teach their hearts. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified as we open your word, that you would teach us and that you would instruct us and that you would empower us and that we would walk out of this place ready for anything that you bring our way, to be able to counter it with joy and with wisdom and with truth. We ask these things in the wisdom name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So chapters 2 all the way through the end of 4 have been under this lens, this guise, this unique perspective of suffering. 
Peter's going to wrap it all up and bring it to a tiny little of a close, a little bit of a bow. And he's going to do it by talking about suffering for the sake of Christ. So we have seen suffering in all these diverse situations. And he's going to bring it all the way back to what happens when we just suffer for claiming that we know know Jesus. This is what it says in chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should, be as, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with the family of God. And it begins with us. What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And it's hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then... Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So Peter is wrapping up his thoughts on suffering in those texts. And he talks about a couple of big things that we're going to get to. But really what he's saying is that don't consider it strange when you suffer. Don't wonder why something is happening to you. Don't be like, am I unique to this? As if this something was happening to you that you're surprised about. Don't be surprised about it. Suffering and Christianity are going to go hand in hand. Remember, Jesus says that they hated me first. Suffering and Christianity are tied uniquely together. And he actually says you should find great joy in the fact or be overjoyed in the fact that you are suffering for his name. In fact, if you are insulted, be blessed, right? Kind of talks to those bigger pictures. Gets to that and he says, you know, we shouldn't be surprised because judgment's coming. We talked about it two weeks ago. We'll mention it again here in a minute. Judgment's coming. It's going to begin with the family of God. How much more of a struggle will it be for those that don't know God? So when all this happens, right, we should be firmly pressed into a faithful creator, right, and wanting to continue to do good. And he lays these pictures out because he's getting ready to tie that off and move into his closing remarks. So he's covered everything in terms of suffering. And he finally gets to the last point where he says, if you haven't suffered for any of those things, there's coming a time where you're going to suffer just for being a Christian. Now, we know this to be true. And I mentioned this in the first part of our study, right? We have to understand things that are happening in those days. This letter was written to believers that were scattered all over Asia Minor, all over modern-day Turkey. They were actually removed from their communities, and they were moved out to other isolated places to try and decentralize the Christian movement. Because the leaders, both the Romans and the uh, Pharisees, they were threatened by the very movement of Christ. So they tried to decentralize the movement. They scattered believers, beginning with some ministry that Philip was doing in Samaria and some other things. They scattered them all over the place. And so Paul is, or Peter is writing this letter to those believers saying, listen, you that are scattered all over, I know you're waking up to some really incredible and important things that are true. We talked about these things. The first one was this, persecution was real. Now for us, we don't have a grip on it, we don't understand it, most of us have never lived in it, but for those days, in those people's lives, persecution was real, meaning that just for believing you were a, uh, believing in Christ could cost you your very life. True. It was not a Christian culture. Nowhere, even in the middle of Jerusalem, even in the middle of where the majority of Christianity might have been anchored, it still wasn't a Christian culture. 
Most of the cities surrounding the area were at best half a percent, possibly, believers. But most likely way less than that. There were pockets of believers that were numbered in the fives, tens, and twenties. And most of those were in your family. It was not a culture that had a prayer printed in the paper. Or when you show up at a sporting event or a gladiatorial, they did a prayer before everybody ran out there and someone dropped a 316 banner off the side, like John 316. No one does did that. It's not a culture that gave you high fives, right? Not a culture that gave your kids Wednesday night no homework because they know they all go to church. It was a Christian culture. And the church was very different. That was the third thing, right? Our understanding of church is very different from the early church. The early church, believers gathered together for really two reasons. One, out of necessity. They shared life. They shared resources. They got together and shared needs. And two, to study and grow. They got together and they read the letters of the apostles that were being circulated. They taught. They sung hymns. They worshiped together. And they did it in small gatherings, groups and huddles of five or ten, either underground metaphorically or literally. But usually only one or two pockets of those groups of people in a city. There certainly was no first whatever of whatever town they were in. That had like a 30-week series from Rick Warren on divorce care, anything like that. Church did not exist like that. Didn't have a family life center for you to go and all those kind of things that we know the church was. It was very different. And the reason I mention those things is because it's really important to understand when we talk about the bigger principles about what Peter's dealing with when suffering. Because most of us don't understand suffering in the context of suffering for Christ. Now we understand suffering as we've explored over the past five weeks. Suffering with heartache and hurt, oppression of people. Those things. Loss. But when it comes to suffering for the sake of Christ, most of us, we've got no real idea. But the one first question that I want us to deal with, the first principle I want us to understand this morning that Peter's really getting at, which is really this. At some point in time, if you're a follower of Christ, you will suffer just for that reason. Don't consider it a surprise, he says. Don't be shocked when it happens, as if there was something strange here. In other words, he's setting them up, saying, if you haven't already, you're going to suffer for Jesus. And the question he's really asking but not saying out loud is, really, what are you ready for? Are you ready to suffer at the hands of people for the sake of Christ? Now, without raising your hands in here, I ask, how many of you have ever really suffered, I mean, really suffered anything for the sake of the gospel? And like I mentioned, not inconvenience, right? Not like somebody made fun of you or you had to not bring your Bible to class or something like that, but a real persecution. Almost none of us, I bet. So in the middle of all that, and the romantic idea of what are you willing to do, the questions begin to arise. Are you willing to go to jail for Jesus? Are you willing to give up your family? Give up a job? Are you willing to die for Christ? Because those are the questions that have plagued the hearts of Christians for centuries. How much do I really believe in the gospel that I've attached my life to? How much do I really Love the God that I believe has set me free from sin and death. What am I ready for? It's the question that's actually being asked here. Suffering is coming. I want you to be prepared for it. And I want you to be ready for it. The truth is, most of us love the romantic idea of saying I'd die for Christ. We really do. We want to be that person. Their faith is so radical that if it came to it, I would be the person that said, yes, I would die for Jesus. 
that if someone walked in here, and this actually has happened in the United States, in our lifetime, someone walks into this place, puts a gun to my head and says, Trev, renounce your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you will live. You know what my prayer would be? After I Jason borne the gun out of his hand and changed lives and then saved everybody else and then marched around the country as, you know, in my dreams, after that, would be to look at this person and be like, how can I renounce the only truth I've ever known? I'm willing to die for Jesus. That's the, that's the longing in my heart, right? So I started thinking about this week, and I've thought about this stuff before. I've thought about would I die for Jesus? Would I, would I surrender my, my family or would I give up my, my job? Like all those things. Like if I had to give up this job for Jesus, that'd be weird. But, <laughs> but you get the idea. We've, we've spent a lot of time in China. Many times we've gone over there working with the underground church. And these are real questions that the believers we met were facing. If I proclaimed out loud that I was a follower of Christ, my family would disown me. That means no more contact with my dad. No more contact with my family, my mom, my brothers. I'd lose my job. I'd most likely be in prison depending on what city I lived in. So what am I really willing and ready for? Well, it's a different question for you and me, right? But the question's actually a valid one to a point. And this is where I got really convicted. It's a valid one to a point because we love the romantic idea of saying that I would be willing to die for Jesus. But here's what I've been really convicted about. Is that who am I to romanticize the idea about am I willing to die for Jesus, give up my job for Jesus, all those kind of things for Jesus, when I won't even allow my life to be inconvenienced by him. Truthfully. I mean, here I am saying, God, I would be willing to die for you at the hands of a man with a gun, yet I will argue every day with you over control of my life. I will fight for comfort and security I will cry when things are hard, and yet I'm willing to step here and say, hey, man, I'd die for Jesus. Jesus said, well, you won't even die for you, is what he's telling me. Maybe I should work more on not wanting to die for Jesus and more on just willing to die to myself, right? So the bigger question in all that is simply this, not what am I willing to die for, but who am I willing to die to? So what... what what Peter's getting at is this. Look, it's going to happen. If you truly follow Christ and you live according to his principles, you are going to run headlong into culture at some point in time. There is no way around it. You are going to run into culture morally. You're running into culture academically. You're going to run into culture from a bunch of different standpoints. And the question is, are you willing and ready to stand up for the truth that you believe in the face of the onslaught of culture? But in order to do that, You've got to be willing to die first and foremost to yourself. Jesus, put to death my desire to be liked, my desire to be supported, my desire to be encouraged, my desperate low self-esteem needs for social media approval. All of those things have got to be put to death before I'm ever ready to say, Jesus, I would give up anything for you. So Peter is readying these believers Live in a way in which your faith is so visible that you would be seen as someone that follows Jesus first and foremost, right? And what would that bring? Like, we like to think persecution isn't real, but the truth is it's incredibly real right now. In fact, more f believers have died for their faith in the 20th century than the other 19th centuries combined, believe it or not. There are statistics that show that 200 people die every month 
across the globe simply because they profess their faith in Christ. Now, 200 may not sound like a lot, but it's a lot that die because that does not take into account those that are imprisoned, those that are put in camps, those that are separated from their families, those that are persecuted, lost and losing jobs. Those are just the ones that have been killed. In fact, our own U.S. State Department reports that there are over 60 countries that are openly hostile to Christians. And if you're a believer, you shouldn't travel there or be open about it. 60 countries. Persecution's real. And if you live as a follower of Christ long enough and you live it visibly, you will run into headlong into culture. So don't consider it a surprise when it happens. Don't all of a sudden be shocked because of your moral stance on something because Jesus has talked about it in Scripture. Don't be surprised when culture wants to destroy you for it. Right? He said, actually, count it as something very different. And that's the second principle. The second thing is really important. When it happens, right, suffering of any kind, but really suffering for the sake of Christ, when it happens, should be anchored in joy. That's what Peter's getting at. He's saying it's going to happen. And when it does, the second principle is any kind of suffering should be anchored in joy, but especially suffering for the sake of Christ should be steeped in joy. Now, you've got to understand a principle first before we get this, and that is how we respond to suffering is actually a choice. How you respond to the suffering in your life is a choice. You can be angry, you can be bitter, you can be frustrated, you can blame everybody else around you. You can kick and you can stomp and you can complain and you can rant on Facebook all you want. How you respond to suffering in your life is a choice. You have that choice. You can allow those things to be part of your story. You can be mad. You can scream. You can yell at your husband or your wife or your kids. Blame your mom for this. Blame your dad for that. Whatever it is. You can blame the world. You can do whatever it is you want to. You can be mad. You can be vocal. You can yell at God. All those are your choices. You can scream why me and be angry that God ever allowed you into such a situation in the first place. And you can stomp and become bitter and angry. Absolutely a choice. Or, as Peter suggests, you can embrace your suffering with joy. And I'm not talking about, like we've talked about this before, we're not talking about like happiness. Like all of a sudden when things go bad, like I'm super happy. We're not talking about that. When things go bad, they're still crappy. When we lose people or we deal with difficult things, it's awful. Death sucks. And it hurts. And there are not a lot of question, answers for some of life's most difficult questions. So we're not talking about when life is hard, we turn super optimistic. When life gives you, you know, as I say all the time, when life gives you lemonade, we, or lemons that make like Jesus-flavored lemonade. That's not what we're talking about. Right? We're talking about something wholly different. We're talking about embracing our suffering with the anchor of joy. That part of us that just says, okay, I'm going to walk into this with a different attitude because I can be bitter, angry, and frustrated because the truth is the guy down the street's not struggling with the same thing and he's a horrible person. And as we just saw in Peter, I'm doing everything kind of right and everything still keeps falling on me. So yeah, I could be bitter. But I don't have to be. Because if I want to understand and believe that God is doing something bigger, then it should lead me to a different place. You may remember way back in our study of James, we did this several years ago, we studied the book of James. In James chapter 1, right, he says this, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of 
many kinds. You know, the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance leads to maturity, which leads to full development in Christ. So what James is saying is kind of echoing what Peter is saying here, which is, listen, when you suffer trials of many kinds, and we know you're going to face them, and they're going to be diverse, and they're going to test your faith, they're going to suffer at the hands of bad people, bad governments, bad masters, awful marriages, ugly people, all those things. You're going to suffer at the hands just for being a Christian. When you suffer all of those things, he says, you have the choice to consider it joy or not. And he says, let me tell you why you should consider it joy. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance leads to maturity. Maturity leads to growth in Christ. But most of us don't want perseverance. We don't want character, as my dad would always say. It builds character. I'm like, I don't care. I don't want character. I just don't want to do that. We don't want perseverance. We don't want wisdom. We just want relief. When we're dealing with suffering, even in the hands of stuff we don't know, we just want it to go away. We are not interested in the I'm being grown or I'm developing or I'm, I'm literally growing into a, I don't want any of that. What I want is you to take it away, God. That's what we long for. So this is a choice, right? This is the choice that Peter's saying. You can be overjoyed in it, anchored in the fact that God is doing something incredible, and that he is in total control, and that he is bringing about perseverance, which is going to lead to wisdom. It's going to lead to maturity in Christ. In other words, in your suffering, God is growing your heart to know him more. And it is one reason that you can choose joy. And when I'm choosing joy, it's not because I love the circumstance or love what's happening. In fact, what's happening is really awful and I hate it. But the anchor that I have, not the emotion that I have, the anchor of hope that I have, the anchor that I hold on to is that God is growing me to know him in the middle of all this. And that I may not have all the answers I want, but I'm not going to toss that out. And so, God, I'm going to greet it with joy because somewhere buried in here is the ability to know you. And through these tears that are incredibly real, you have never left, and that you are moving. And so Peter says, you have the choice to consider it joy. And it doesn't mean that you walk around with a smile or a plastic fake smile, or when people ask you how you're doing, your answer is always, I'm doing fantastic. You can still very much be in deep pain and real hurt and have an anchor, an anchor, Right? And this idea of joy. Deep buried in all of this stuff, God, I believe you've never left me or forsaken me. So he says, you have a choice, and that suffering of any kind, but especially suffering for Christ, the unjust suffering, we can see is joy. So we've got these two big principles at play, right? And the third one uh, comes right there at the end. And it's really Really interesting. Listen, to, I'm going to read the verse to you again because I, I know we kind of blaze through this kind of quickly. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Listen to what, what Peter says here. He says that when we suffer, suffering should not push us away, but push us into God as faithful creator and a desire to continue to do good. So most of the time when we suffer, right, our questions begin with why and they end with me. God, why me? Or why is this happening to me? Or why are you continuing to allow this to happen to me? Or God, why is that person doing this to me? Like most of our 
questions that we file out or shoot off at God in the middle of our suffering begin with that and end with me. And they are driven from the standpoint of saying, in the middle of all this, God, why? And when we yell why, in other words, like this is unjust or why is this happening to me, it tends to push us away from the Lord. We want to circle the wagons of our heart and say, nobody gets in. And God, I've got a lot of questions for you. And it pushes us away from a desire to know God because we're so upset with what's happening in us or around us or to us. And we become blind to a bigger picture. Now listen. Listen to what Peter says. He says that instead of doing that, instead of circling those wagons around your heart and trying to protect yourself and firing off all your why me questions, instead of pushing you away, suffering actually should press you into faithful creator. And he chooses these words incredibly carefully. He doesn't just say push you into God. He says push you into faithful creator. Now think about this for a minute. What that means is that Peter's saying this, God created the world. He made it. He formed it. We talked about this extensively in the book of John chapter 1, back when we were studying John. God created the world. Now regardless how you want to talk to me about God creating it, whether you want to say God made it in a seven-day, 24-hour time period, or God did something mysterious over space and time. The truth is God created it. He made it. He formed it. You cannot escape Scripture's call that God is creator. He made the earth and everything in it, and everything holds together because of him. He is creator. So in the middle of your suffering, what we find comfort in is pressing into God as creator, meaning God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. This is no cosmic accident. Your suffering, your hurt, your pain is not missed by God. In other words, he didn't turn his back and all of a sudden turn back around and be like, oh, oh my gosh, I didn't see that one coming. God is not surprised. He is creator. And I'm going to tell you why I find that so incredibly comforting. Because if all of this is just some cosmic chance, what a hopeless existence. But God is creator. And so instead of trying to protect myself at all, all times and trying to make sure that I fire off all my questions at God, Peter says, press into the God that made it all. If you're suffering and you've got questions and you're hurting, instead of isolating yourself and being angry, press into the God that formed the earth. And what you're going to find, he says, is something incredible. He's faithful. You should press into faithful creator. Now think about the faithfulness of God, right? Now Ruth mentioned it when we were doing our prayer time. Like at times it's so hard in the middle of our suffering to see God is faithful. But God is faithful. I remember when I was in 2009, we went to Africa and we were help planning a church in, in, uh, in Africa. And we were given a translator one-on-one. I had my own translator and all of our group had their own. And we would walk these trails of Uganda inviting people to come to this church. We'd share the gospel and invite them to come back to church. And the translator, his name was Peter. And uh, really the truth of the story is we were in Africa as kind of this great white attractant. So people would see us and they would be like, what's happening over there? A lot of the folks we encountered had never seen a white person before. And they'd want to come. And then the local pastors and churches that we're planning uh, were all African and they would present the gospel and it was really an amazing thing. But we were just sort of a, a tool in their tool belt, which is amazing and wonderful. But we'd walk these trails to these little grass huts, and we'd share the gospel with folks and invite them to come back on Sunday to the opening of this church that we were a part of planting. And my, my translator name was Peter. Peter was a young guy. I was much younger than it was like 10 years ago, so I was younger, and he was younger. 
I just did the math in my head real quick. Peter's story was one of heartache, man. Um, I think I may have mentioned this years ago before, but Peter, uh, he lost his entire family um, at the hands of the LRA. Those that aren't familiar, I won't go into too much history here, but the Lord's Resistance Army was active in northern Uganda when he was a child, actually still active now, but was really active then. And he watched them one day, uh, and they came through the village all the time, but he watched them one day ride in on motorcycles and take out machetes and literally murder his mom and his sister in front of him while he hid in the bushes. And he drove away. Left without a family um, and a lot of questions for the Lord. And he's telling me this story. I don't even have words to, like, ask a question. But I finally get one out, and I just basically said, man, it was 13, I think, when all this happened. I said, how did you even, how did you go on? Like, how did you move forward? And he said, I, I didn't for a while. But as a boy, I had this pastor that was in my life that told me one thing that always stuck with me. He says that God will free the oppressed, and he will not forget you. And he said he had somebody continue to speak into his life over those years, not giving him answers for why it happened, but just basically saying, God is faithful. And he said, I always hung on to the idea of faith, the faithfulness of God. And he was now a, in Bible colleges and trained to be a pastor and whatnot. But I thought at that moment, and I still think about this moment today, how little I understand about the faithfulness of God. And how quick I am to throw in the towel. But what we see Peter saying here is press in to the faithfulness of the Creator. God has not forgotten you. Your suffering does not mean God has turned his back or walked away. God has created all things, and in him all things hold together. If you ever need an example of that, just go read Colossians chapter 1, and it will change your life. And should press us into creator who is the creator, God, who is so incredibly faithful. And it should do one other thing, right? He said it should continue to make you want to do good. And the good that Peter's talking about is a living and proclaiming the gospel. That's what Peter's referring to. The doing good is not just moral, it's actually morally rooted in Christ. And he's saying the faithfulness of the creator of Creator God should just push you to continue even in the face of suffering, like proclaiming to live the gospel, even if suffering comes. See, the enemy wants the opposite. When suffering comes, the enemy wants you to blame everybody else around you, be angry, withdraw, quit living that way, and stop talking about Jesus. That's what the enemy wants. But what Peter's saying is that the opposite is actually a play, that when you suffer, we press into faithful creator God, and it challenges us to want to tell the story even more because God is so incredibly faithful that you want anybody who's suffering to know that if God is that faithful in your story, he's that faithful all the time. And there are people, hundreds upon thousands upon thousands of people in this world that are suffering and that are hurting and that are broken and don't know Jesus. Can you imagine living in a world where your worst nightmare has not anchored in the idea that God is real? Even in your flawed way of thinking about him, even in the way sometimes you don't deal well with it all, the idea that if there was no God or you didn't know him, how you would even wake up in the morning to this chaotic disaster we live in. The only reason there is to wake up, truthfully, is because we have hope in Christ. And that gives us breath and makes us want to love people and love our families and not just throw ourselves in front of a train because of the sinful nightmare that we are. 
but to truthfully just go, God, I get to draw breath today. No matter what it brings me, it's a gift from you. And I want people to know that. And even in my own neighborhood, my block, my school, my workplace, there are people that are suffering and they don't know you. And the fact that you are a faithful creator should press me into wanting to tell them. To continue, just to continue, just to continue. So here's what Peter says in all of this, right? He says in all this. He says, look, suffering's coming. Anytime you tie yourself as a believer, anytime you tie yourself as a believer to Christ, you're going to run headlong into culture. So what are you ready for? Be ready for it. But before you start the romantic idea of being willing to die for Jesus, start at the place of being willing to die to yourself. Put to death all those things, right? And when that suffering happens, of any kind, but especially suffering for Christ, anchor it in you. Anchor it deep in joy. Not the emotion on the outside, but the deep joy that comes from knowing that God is faithful creator. He made all this. He made you. He has not forgotten you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows what you'll think and what you need before it ever even crosses your own mind. And he is always at work. And he has not forgotten you. And he is faithful in his incredible beauty. And all of that should push us to not want to quit. Now listen, last thing, that this is what we'd be remiss if we, if we skipped over. Verses 17 and 18 are really powerful. And they give us the reason all this even matters. And this is what Peter says. He says, listen, however, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. He goes on to say, for it's, it is time for judgment to begin. And it begins with the family of God. It begins with us. What will the outcome be for those that don't obey the gospel of God? And then he goes on to quote Proverbs 11 and talk about the challenges that face the non-believer. But this is what Peter says. Suffering is not for nothing. We talked about this two weeks ago. There's a deep and a real judgment that's coming. We can't escape it. That is the reality of our sinful condition, that we are going to all face the judgment and wrath of God. We're going to stand in front of it. And he says, the family of God is not... You are not going to escape that judgment. It actually is going to begin with the family of God, is what he says there. And he says the family of God will stand before the judgment of God, but there's a reason that the family of God doesn't tremble. And it's the reason that we find great joy in suffering. We're anchored to it. It's the reason that we want to continue to do good. It's the reason we believe God is faithful creator, is because he's not left us to face his wrath alone. But that we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, our hope in the cross of Christ and the resurrection that we stand free from the judgment of God. That instead of being greeted with this fearful kind of overwhelming sense of judgment we're greeted with a sense of forgiveness and freedom and life. And he says and so what happens to those essentially who don't believe? So He's saying in the middle of your suffering, what I want you to understand is that even the suffering that's coming greater than anything this world has ever known, there's a suffering that's coming, and you're free from it. You are free from it. So go tell the world that they can be too. Because this judgment's coming, and if you think suffering here is hard, there's something great and awesome and unfathomable that's standing at our doorstep, and it's going to begin with you. So don't be afraid of what this earth will bring because God has given you victory over that judgment so that we can find joy in this life. 
you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said, Jesus, I want to be that free, I want to trust that my life is secure in the hands of God, that's ultimately what we want you to know. That that promise that Peter's talking about is for you. I'd encourage you to come down and just visit with me afterwards. We'd love to share with you the actual truth of the gospel that you can know freedom in Christ. But that's the reason, not because we're faithful to stand on our own, but God's faithful not to allow us to. That through Christ, we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand in the presence of Creator God and not be fearful of who we are or were, but to be redeemed by the person of Jesus. So what am I ready for? I'm ready for a life that embraces whatever God's going to bring, both with joy and with longing, trying to die to my own selfish desires so that I can anchor my life in hope and joy, press into faithful creator God when it gets hard, and be empowered to just keep going because I want the world to know every heartbeat that's suffering, every heartbeat that has no hope, every neighbor, every person to know the God that is faithfully in love with them. So as we take these truths out of here, we're armed with that kind of heartbeat. Suffering's not always about you. Perhaps suffering so that you could tell the world about a faithful creator God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the moment just to gather here today, share some prayer requests, open your word, deal with the reality of the difficulty at times of suffering, but more so the joy that comes from pressing into faithful creator God with a desire to keep proclaiming and living for the gospel that the world might know what we know to be true, which is you have a life and a glorious story for us in Christ. And so, God, we ask that you would be exalted and glorified. As we close our time in worship, if we're afraid, if we're struggling, if we're suffering, if we're hurting, any of those things, Lord, I pray that you'd strip them from our life. That we may just let those things be pulled by the wayside. We may ask that you be magnified in us, that you be exalted in us. And that no matter what we walk through, you are there that you will not leave us nor forsake us. You are faithful creator, God, and that it is an overwhelming, deep sense of joy that we have anchored in you. So, Lord, hear our cries. We close our time in worship, and we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our life, and our desire. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning.